0: Thank you, friends, for continuing to listen to this story as I continue to talk about Marie Schmidt. And as I move forward with this story, I realize that I can't do that without talking about my father, Ron De Groot, who is not to be mixed up with other family members of the same name because this is a common Dutch name. Because I was working through these issues um, with Morris from 2005 onward, It was synchronicity that I would meet my pedophile father for the first time when I was 35. I felt like it was the universe's way of killing two birds with one stone. If you've listened to my previous episode of My Mother Issues Part 2, Season 2, Episode 8, I explain more about my father in that episode around the 9 minute, 10 second mark into that episode. I share how I met him, my mom and him getting back together and then breaking up, him blaming me, all that kind of stuff. So I won't repeat that here. So please go back to that one and you can check that out. What I didn't mention in that episode though, is how that meeting came to be. And I don't recall the exact date, but it was between 2006 and 2008. I was in my third year of university at the time and do a very profound healing work with the late Olga Arsenouk a very powerful, beautiful, and gentle intuitive healer. It was in that session that I was thinking about my dad and I never knew him at all. And I didn't really know how to feel because our family history is just riddled with violence and abuse. Olga then told me that I was considered what is called, quote unquote, a fruit of love. Meaning that at the time of conception, there was true love between my parents. And I said, well, isn't that most people? You know, she said, no, not at all. Actually. And most often it doesn't even happen. It's pretty rare. And then I I just said, I was like, well, how can that be? Our whole family history is nothing but violence and abuse. And Olga said, yes, that's true. But it was pure love that your parents felt for each other. And you are a seed of that love. This really surprised me when she said that because... It just, it seemed in such juxtaposition considering my family history, but it was also very beautiful and it brought some gentleness to my heart. And both my mom and dad would eventually admit this to me later down the road that they were each other's love of their lives. I had heard about what my dad had done to my sibling, but it wasn't anything certain. It didn't feel like um, the actual truth, there was things that were missing. and. So I didn't really know if this was completely true. So in this session with Olga, I was feeling just this deep pain and sadness about my dad. And I remember Olga asking me like, what are you feeling? Why are you crying? You know, and crying so deeply. She wasn't she wasn't judging me because I was crying. She just wanted to know where were these deep tears coming from? And truthfully, I didn't know why. I didn't know why, because I'd never met this man. I didn't have a father or father figure because I certainly didn't feel like my, my stepdad was any of those things. He was just another person married to my mom, but I couldn't stop crying. I told Olga, I feel like I've lost something I've never found. It made sense to me, yet it, didn't, it doesn't sound like it makes sense. But she understood it completely. I honestly don't know if he, was, um, if he was alive or not at that point. And she got the sense that he was beginning to make his way over to the other side. But she's always been clear that it is up to each spirit and their relationship with God, however you choose to believe in God, if you do, when that time will be. No intuition can ever accurately predict that. And the thought of my dad dying and not having ever met him made me sad. This is something I didn't feel that was complete and I needed to find some kind of completion and resolution. I told Olga that if he's dead, I need to write some kind of letter and places, place it on his grave, where, wherever he was. I didn't know I, had, I would have to find that. I told her that my brother had seen him years ago at one point, so I'll ask if he actually happens to know anything. And so that's what I did. I called up my brother and I asked him. And I was floored by what he said. He's like, yeah, I just saw him three weeks ago. Like, what? Like, what the hell? Like, like I had no idea he was in contact with Dad, and certainly so frequently. So after exchanging numbers, then talking with dad on the phone briefly, we decided to meet up for coffee. I'd never seen this man, but it was pretty easy to tell that it was him. He was tall, bald in his glasses and in a tracksuit. We didn't hug, we just said hello and started an awkward conversation. As per usual came the questions of, was I married, did I have kids, what do I do? I was like, no, I'm back in university, finishing off my fine arts degree, and I date women, no kids. He looked at me for a split second and said, okay. Like, it seriously didn't bother him. Like, not at all. Not that I was queer. Yet my mom, on the other hand, had issues with it for seven years, and it was only until my father said he didn't care and it didn't matter that my mom finally accepted it. Like, sort of. We talked for about an hour about various things um because it was just it was the first time and and i had asked him if he had ever loved mum and he said i still do i wasn't sure how to feel about that and now as i look back on it and literally as i was you know um arranging this episode i i didn't realize that why was i asking about mum Why wasn't I figuring out more about my relationship with him, his relationship with me, and all of that, all that kind of stuff, the father-daughter issues that needed to be talked about. I wasn't ready yet in that moment to flat out ask about what he did to my sibling. It it didn't, it wasn't in in that moment. And I could feel that. And it wasn't really a, a thought that came up. We ended the conversation. And at the end, he asked if I could come to his truck because he had some flowers for me. And I said yes that's okay. He gave me these flowers and I could tell that he quickly got them at the grocery store because they were still wrapped in like the the Safeway bag and had the you know price tags everything on there and you know what I actually didn't care. I just thought it was honestly the gesture was was sweet. He obviously is not a, a flower kind of guy. I did ask him though if I could have a hug. I felt I wanted one. He was my dad. I don't ever recall having one and certainly not as like a little baby. You know, I I don't recall that. And he was very pleasantly surprised and said, absolutely. And in that moment, it was really nice to receive a hug from my dad, because it felt like just in that moment that I was protected and loved. And that was something that I had longed for, for my entire life. And I'd never received that. I remember driving away from that conversation with an intense feeling that if this was the only time I would ever meet my dad, it would be enough. I did find a bit of closure in that moment. And that was nice because that was something that I was searching for. Dad. Dad was such a strange word on my tongue at the time. And it still is a bit actually because I'm not used to saying it. It was a word that I had never used. So it felt very foreign to me. To me, John is John. He's not my father and he's not a father figure. He's just, you know, the stepdad, you know, but dad was dad. And as I explain at the 10 minute mark of that episode, my mother issues part two, season two, uh, episode eight, I share what he had told me about my sibling, the truth, the truth of that and the fallout after that. So I hope you have a chance to listen to that because I, I won't share it here. But what I didn't mention in that episode was how it made me feel that day when I left him and how things had really shifted. And I drove away crying um, after speaking with him. I didn't feel any kind of resolution. I, you know, I, I was crying the deepest and heaviest tears I had ever felt. I went to visit my best friend who was house-sitting at the time in Bowness near the river. And I just kept crying. I kept I kept telling her the weight of these tears was so heavy. It was like I was crying concrete blocks and I could just feel it in my body. And it wasn't like a weight was lifted in, because it certainly wasn't and not necessarily a weight that was put on. It was just, it wasn't a healing or release cry. It was just a very, very heavy cry. Part of me had wondered if my dad's apology to my sibling was mirroring an apology that I wanted and deserved, but never received, not from Morris and not from my dad. I honestly don't know, but I've never had such a weighted cry since then. And I've never had any kind of apology like that. Um, So that's something that I work on. And truthfully, how would I feel if I ever even received one? I know my dad was wracked with guilt his entire life. It's why he drank and he knew it. It's why he was always an alcoholic. He didn't know how to deal with his crime, even when he openly talked about it and took responsibility for it, because the guilt wasn't just what he had done. It was also what he didn't do. He left his two kids in the hands of a child rapist. All those crimes... All those mistakes, I believe, just ate away at him, and his only coping mechanism was to drink. He's slowly dying of alcohol poisoning in some retirement nursing home somewhere outside of Didsbury. I'm at peace now with um, with my father, when he broke up with my mom, and how he had handled that, and how he had blamed me, and all the things that I had tried to help him with. I am at peace with it. He couldn't accept his world he couldn't accept that his issues his life his dealing his um, reactions to things were his responsibility it wasn't on me it wasn't on mom it was on him so i have found peace this is leading me to seeing maurice the, the next three times because the last time i had seen him i was 15. Over those many years afterwards, after I was 15, I had wondered what I would do if I ever met up with Maurice again. I had fantasized many times that I would be in a public place where I would out him as a rapist, beat the crap out of him, kick his balls and everything down there over and over again until everything fell off. So deep was my anger. It was about me taking charge and hurting him like he had hurt me. I wanted him to hurt and suffer like I had. I wanted Him to be publicly humiliated for his crimes. I just didn't realize that I would actually manifest this opportunity in December of 2007. I was in my third year of university and I was working full-time while also going to school full-time. I was working at the Southeast Costco in Calgary near the Deerfoot Auto Mall. I had moved to a cashier position because I was relatively fast at what I was doing. And as it was near Christmas... This was quite literally the busiest Costco in Calgary at the time. In fact, it was actually the second busiest Costco in North America at that time. At least that's what the managers told me. It was just surge after surge of people coming through the tills. I would take their Costco membership card, I would scan it, scan their groceries through quickly, double check and count the items in the cart as per our policy, get them to pay, and while they were paying, take the the next customer's card and get ready to repeat over and over for hours. I didn't realize this small man behind the woman in front of him until I took his card. And while she was paying, I saw his ridiculous Costco picture with his name, Marie Schmidt. I felt an instant bolt of white light pound me right in the solar plexus. I was in shock. And because we were so busy and I tend to follow all the rules, because if I don't follow the rules, I'm in trouble. If I get in trouble, that means I'm bad. If I'm bad, I'm punished. That means I'm not good. I'm not worthy. Yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. (sighs) So I started to process his order like I did with everything else. Costco membership, scan it, scan his groceries through quickly, double check and count the items in the cart as per policy. And this is where I stopped. I just had the thought, what the hell am I doing? Don't count it. Just get him out of here. So I didn't follow policy because I didn't care. I was scared and in so much shock. I thought he must have read my name tag because it says in bold, black capital letters, Ursula, and that he was going to recognize me. He was going to initiate his predatory grooming. You want me to tickle you? You want me to chase you around? But that didn't happen. It was like he didn't even recognize me. I mean, of course not. I'm not a little girl anymore. But then something happened next that I did not expect. As he was done paying for his order, he dropped his credit card on the counter and instinctively, I leaned over, reached for his card, picked it up and handed it back to him. This action would haunt me for a very long time. He then took his cart and he left. This took all of maybe a minute and a half, two minutes tops. I was in such shock that I kept working on the till and processing orders for the next 15 minutes, just trying to make sense of what had happened. It's like I was just a robot. I was mechanically going through everything. It was so busy and I thought I just had to push my way through it because it was just too busy. I couldn't just stop, that's that's not right, that's wrong. I could get in trouble, I don't wanna get in trouble because that could be bad and if I'm bad, I'm punished. I began shaking and I, I started to lose focus. So I called my supervisor over and I, I said I needed to talk to her privately. She was not impressed. Into the office we went and she was quite irritable when she asked, what's going on? I took a moment because I honestly don't know how to phrase this. How do you tell someone that the man who abused you as a child just walked through your till? And so I said, the man who abused me as a little girl just walked through my till. She wasn't irritable anymore. She quickly turned compassionate. I stumbled my way through the next sentence, just saying that I can't work anymore. I was just shaking. I wasn't feeling good. I was scared. Thoughts were running rampant in my head. I don't understand what had just happened. My supervisor just took care of it and said, and just let me go home. And I went home and I took the next shift off as well. When I did return to work, it was like I saw him everywhere, in every customer, man or woman, I thought I just kept seeing him, you know, whether they had the same height, you know, the same short gray hair, age range. It didn't matter, but it was never him. What I couldn't get over was my reaction to the credit card. I even worked with Olga on this because I was so mad at myself for this very simple action. Like I actually felt ashamed that I did this. Here I had somehow manifested this moment in public where I was going to hurt and humiliate him like I had fantasized for all those years and all I did was pick up this damn card and hand it back to him. What the hell was wrong with me? But Olga just explained it easily to me. Because that's not who you are, she said. And that must have been true because that part kept playing in my mind on constant repeat. I couldn't shake it because it's like I didn't quite believe it. So the universe arranged another meeting after I decided I wanted to work in the bakery instead. Truth is, I didn't want to run into him again at the till who knew if I was going to who, and who knew what I was going to do. Not to mention the early morning hours would make it easier for all my school studies afterwards. However, that didn't stop Maurice from coming by the bakery the following month in January. Clear as day, he was standing outside the bakery shelves, picking up some bread and buns when I saw him again. He didn't look at me, but I recognized this time that I didn't feel that bolt of white lightning in my chest, in my solar plexus. In fact, I didn't feel anything at all, but my mind was racing. What the hell? What is he doing here again? How is this possible? What am I going to do? Just all kinds of racing and angry thoughts. So I found it to be really interesting in that I noticed no emotion, just thoughts. And there was no reaction to harm or humiliate him, nor was it even a thought at the time. Once again, proving that that is not who I am. And for the third and final time, I would meet Morris once again at Costco while I was working. I had just come from the lunchroom and I was returning to the bakery and I had seen him coming in my direction, not to see me just going wherever he was going. And it's like all these times he never saw me. You know, even though he passed me or handed me his card at Till or something, he could never see me, he could never recognize me. And so in that last moment, I literally, I just walked past him and nothing. I had nothing. I had no reaction, no emotion, no thoughts, just nothing. And it's interesting too, that there was no barrier between us this time. At the time I had the counter when I was at the Till. In the bakery, there was bakery racks. But this time, there was nothing to prevent me from harming or humiliating him. But it just wasn't even a thought, reaction, or intention, because that's not who I am. That would be the last time I would ever come face to face with that child rapist again. When he passed, my reaction surprised me. More in the next episode.